The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... And nobody listened to me. Like, I mean, I was crying my eyes out. I was like, you don't understand. I can't see. I literally had to get my sister nearly to link me in because I couldn't see anything. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. Thank you for joining me for another episode. I hope you're all ready to listen to another fantastic guest that I have on this week. But before I get into the introduction, this is just a bit of a side note from myself. I was in bed last night and you know when you're lying in bed by yourself and you're thinking about what happened during the day or what is going on in your life or whatever it might be. And I started having these really random thoughts where I kind of started going deeper and deeper into, into the details of how it must be. But I started thinking about how difficult it must be bringing up a young type 1 diabetic child. And I don't know specifically why I started thinking of this, but I was kind of going into the detail about the fact that they might not accurately be able to articulate what a high or low blood sugar feels like. They might not be able to track and monitor food as as easily as somebody older might be able to do. I, I'm kind of going off on one here, but it was just it was just this really detailed thought that I was having. And I just thought I'd mention on the podcast that if you are somebody who is the parent or sibling of a young type 1 diabetic child, I can only imagine how difficult it must be. And the incredible hard work that you do 24 hours a day doesn't go unnoticed. And I'm sure people in your family and your friends and other diabetics that you know or the community that you're involved in realize that too so i may not know you personally i just wanted to put that out into the podcast because i feel like my parents kind of got away with it 
because I was 19 when I was diagnosed. So I can fully, well, I can't understand, but I can only imagine how difficult it must be. So I hope just this podcast itself is offering some value or help to you up to this point. But anyway, I don't want to ramble. I don't want to ramble on too much. The guest that I have on today is amazing. I really, really enjoyed speaking with her. Mary Lennon is her name. She is from County Louth in Ireland. And for anybody who isn't too familiar of the geography of Ireland, Louth is just north of Dublin on the East Coast. Mary is a type 1 diabetic and she was diagnosed only this year at the age of 38 alongside being diagnosed with COVID-19. So not an ideal mix to say the least. And Mary actually listens to this podcast she originally reached out to myself and Graham directly to tell us a bit about her story and we were dying to get her on and the story does not disappoint. Mary has been through it to say the least. Mary is also a medical care worker and is a medical student currently too. So without further ado, here is myself and Mary's conversation. Enjoy. That is definitely something I feel that is missing out, that they're missing out on, you know. So even the mental health part of it, yeah, I found was tough, you know. So somebody had reached out to a group that you're involved in, kind of suggesting this. Diabetes Ireland, I think, are pushing um, for the parliament for more, the services for, I see, there's me, like I'm getting caught up in my words, (laughs) for her... um, yeah, for psychology services to be part of the diabetes team at diagnosis, you know, to help with your diagnosis. Yeah, well, it's so. obviously a big part of it, you know, and as I always say on this podcast too, and as we both know firsthand, it's as much a psychological and an emotional condition as it is a physical yeah. Um So it would absolutely be a good shout to have that sort of support straight away. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think a lot of the time when you are thrown into this thing initially, there's a massive, massive emphasis on obviously the physical side of things that need to be done, like your carb counting and your insulin and checking your bloods and these kind of things. But it can often seem as if the emotional side of it is not neglected, but dismissed somewhat. Would you, yeah. would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I do think that. And I think it is a huge emotional roller coaster. Um, I think I, I'm guessing now it's probably like that forever. <laughs> That's just the way it's going to be, but definitely at the start. So you've obviously had a very recent and a pretty interesting diagnosis, to say the least. And yeah. as if just getting diabetes wasn't bad enough at at any given time but you basically were having COVID symptoms and you had COVID at the same time so do you want to give me a a, the outline of that what happened and how did you know something was wrong yeah so it started off um I was a close contact and um with someone that was a positive case and two days later then I started getting symptoms um I was very sick with it um I couldn't get off the sofa like I was I was pretty sick now but the first week I had been um I was a little bit of a smoker and I had been smoking and my throat was that bad that I said right I'm going to give this up so the HSE helpline was on the phone to me helping me 
And that week they said to me, at the end of the first week, they said to me, how are you getting on with it? And I says, I'm doing good. And they said, any, are you feeling any better? And I says, yeah. And said, any other signs? And I said, well, I'm actually really, really thirsty all the time. Um, so I put it down to that. And they said, well, that's maybe speak to your doctor about that. But I just passed it off. I didn't pay any attention. And so looking back, that was my very first sign. Um, and so I got better anyways, got back on my feet. And it was about four weeks later, I'd say, that I was feeling absolutely perfect. But uh, I woke up one morning and my eyesight had gone. It was very bad. Now, I would have perfect eyesight. So um, it was really strange feeling to wake up and everything was blurred and I couldn't see anything around me. And it freaked me out a little bit. So I went to the doctor on call who sent me up to uh, the eye clinic in Dublin. So they checked my eyes and they had said that they couldn't see it and nothing was wrong with me. So I went home and that was fine. And the next day, then it got worse. So I went back up myself to the emergency eye clinic and they took me in and they done like loads and loads of tests on my eyes and the nurse actually that was taking me in she said to me you look very very skinny have you lost a lot of weight lately and I said well actually yeah I have actually I lost five kilo like in the last week and she was like and did you mean to and like I'd only be 48 kilo so I'm only small so that was a lot for me to lose so fast you know Hmm. and I says no I don't know why actually I says I I just didn't really put any thought into it. And she says, right. So they sent me home. They said there was, they said that my eyesight, I, I had pretty bad eyesight, but they said I probably didn't notice it deteriorating. And like, I was pretty upset because I was like, there's no way, like, I mean, I could see perfect yesterday, you know. Um, yeah, of course. And now it's gone. And I was like, I was, I was proper upset now. I went home and I was crying and I said, like, what if this isn't reversible, if there's something wrong with me? And you know yourself, you do like a quick Google search, you know, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you self-diagnose. Everybody does it. So I went on to Google and I just done like, you know, sudden eye lo- eyesight loss. And I think there was only like seven things it could be. There wasn't actually loads. And some of them things I knew it wasn't because there was some things that I knew I didn't have. And it left it down to two things. Like one thing was MS and the other one was type 1 diabetes. And I was just like, okay, this is me being a bit of a hypochondriac. And I'll close that. It's not that, you know, just Mm. being like, there's no way. I didn't know. I had no idea what type 1 diabetes was. Absolutely no idea. So, yeah. So the next day it got worse again, went up again and they wouldn't even take me in the door um to the emergency clinic and they said um I shouldn't be there that it was probably a migraine um even though I had no headaches um and nobody listened to me like I mean I was crying my eyes out I was like you don't understand I can't see I literally had to get my sister nearly to link me in because I couldn't see anything um and they said no and they said sent me up to maybe you can go to this other hospital that was closer to me so I did and they admitted me in and they'd done MRIs. They thought it was more neurological Um, done blood tests, urine samples, the whole lot and sent me home too. said, look, at, we know that you don't think it's your eyes, but we can't see anything else that is just bad eyesight. So nothing came up in terms of 
with any of the tests or anything that you had done? Nothing. No. Now, I don't know exactly what they tested for, but no, nothing. They all said everything was clear. Like, so I... I just accepted it. I just says, right. So I straight away rang my opticians in town and made an appointment to come in and get glasses because I couldn't drive. I couldn't do anything. So I went in, I went out of the hospital. I just says, right, well, you know, I mean, that's three different, three different hospitals now have been sent away four times. Like maybe that is, it is just my eyesight's gone and I just have to accept that. So I went into the opticians. He, he says he'd never heard of it before, but my eyesight, I got my eye test on. My eyes were pretty bad. Like, I mean, the glasses, I spent 200 euro on glasses, but I could see with the glasses. So this was what kind of confused them because I could see with the glasses. And that was grand. And then about a week later, um, I was at a friend's house and they were like, would you like a drink? And I says, yeah, I'm actually really thirsty. And they had Coke there. And I says, yeah, I'll have Coke. And um, I mean, I drank two liters of coke in about <laughs> half an hour and I was so it's embarrassed hard. I was actually so embarrassed I was like I'm not usually like this I don't know what's wrong with me it's so <laughs> embarrassing because <laughs> it wasn't someone I knew very well and I was like this is I don't know and the guy says to me have you got diabetes by any chance and I was like no 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 I was in the hospital they'd done blood tests so that would have come up and no I don't know what it is and that was fine and the next day I went out to my sister's and she said to me, I was sent to her. I was like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I was in someone's house last night. I drank two litres of Coke in like a half an hour. And she says, actually, I meant to test you because her husband is type two. Okay. And she says, come here till we test you. And test my blood. And I was 28.6. Wow. Now, I had no idea what that meant, but he was like, oh, God, you're diabetic. And I was like, What? And he was like, that means you're a diabetic. And I was like, what's that mean? Like type one, type two. And he was like, I don't know. But they were like, you need to go to the hospital. So. so um, sorry, Mary, I'm yeah, trying to get sorry. my head around this here. <laughs> so you had been sent away from a hospital four times. Four times. And yeah. it wasn't until. My sister <laughs> tested my blood. Th- that's when you had found out or that's when you had then assumed that you were diabetic. It took a random guy at a, at one of your friend's houses to say, are you diabetic? Yeah. And you had just been sent away from hospital four times. Four times. And I mean, I didn't leave the hospital willingly either. Like, I mean, I was crying. I pleaded with them, please. Like, there's something wrong with me. I know there's something wrong with me. But yeah, nobody would listen to me. And before... Before you had you had got your blood sugar checked and it came out 28, that's obviously alarmingly high. Were you still kind of under the impression that this is just like a bad dose of COVID or you're reacting to COVID badly? No, no, I knew it wasn't. No, I knew it was something else because it was completely different. I had no idea what it was, but I knew it was something else. I knew because um, I had gotten over that. I was doing, feeling well, you know, so... It was, I just, I, that didn't even cross my mind actually, because yeah, I don't know what it was, but yeah, that didn't, I didn't even think of that, you know, but even there when he said like that, like, you know, yourself to a non-diabetic 28.6 means nothing. I had no idea. And I'd no idea that what was going to come, that this was for life. You know, I had, I was just like, right, everyone's telling me I have to go to the hospital. I'll go to the hospital. And I knew it was pretty serious when the last time I was in the hospital, I was 14 hours in the waiting room 
And this time I didn't even get time to plug my charger in. <laughs> so I knew there was something pretty serious when they took me straight in. So you had you had checked your blood sugar, came out 28. You were obviously advised to go to the hospital. And did you yeah. just drive into the hospital or get a lift into the hospital yourself well, or what happened? I actually, I drove home from my sister's house, which looking back now, I like, I mean, I had no idea what this was, but then I got my uncle to come and take me to the hospital. So you get into hospital, they obviously treat it with its deserved severity, get you in fast. But they'd done a quick prick test. So by the time I got into the hospital, I think it was 22. And they, no, I still, I still, that literally meant nothing to me still like and they put me straight on a drip and I didn't know what the drip was for uh they put me into a bed I like I really nobody really talked to me all this was being done I didn't know what I had I just went to sleep the next morning I mean yeah you're being woken up them wanting to prick my fingers change what I didn't know what fluids was in me I had no notion what was going on you were just getting needles put in you (laughs) yeah yeah and people text me going what's happening I was like I don't know like I just I honestly didn't know. And then I think I mentioned to to the nurse that was doing the finger prick. I was like, and is this like somebody's mentioned like diabetes? Um, is this diabetes? And she was kind of like, yeah, we think so. And I was like, so do I know, do you know which type it is? And she was like, um, no, we can't determine that yet. So then obviously like a big group of doctors comes in and they're talking and they're talking yeah about type one diabetes. And at this stage I hadn't, nobody had come and actually had a conversation with me about it. Like they're all talking about, you know, me being diagnosed with type one diabetes, but this was still a shock to me because I didn't, you know, you don't really believe it. You're kind of going, maybe they'll find something else, you know? So you feel as if you hadn't been like officially told as of yet? Oh, no, I definitely wasn't. No, no. It was just the nurse going, oh, well, we're doing this. Like, I didn't even know what the fluid was in me. It was obviously to get my sugars down. I didn't know what it was for. So, yeah, nobody told me until they, it was it, like the doctors were training and the main doctor was, you know, going through my my file and stuff. And it was only from that I heard them saying it. So that was the first kind of confirmation I got. And do you feel as if this was due to the fact that the hospital might have been under more pressure with COVID or was it Um, that you just hadn't really been told? I don't really know because I wouldn't be in the hospital. So I don't know what way things normally are. So I wouldn't Mm. be, I don't really have experience in it. So yeah, I, but now I was, I was kind of like, I wasn't freaking out. I was, I knew I was in the right place and I knew that they'd found something, you know? So I knew I was more relieved that I wasn't losing my mind that I wasn't crazy. I wasn't imagining this, that there was something wrong with me and now that they've found it. And I kind of felt more relaxed about that. Kind of relieved that you now know what it is, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So had you then got that kind of diabetes crash course where they telling you what insulin is and carb (laughs) counting and all these kind of things? What the hell? Like, I was like, (laughs) I really, like, I had no idea what diabetes was. I just knew there was one where people had to inject and if they did, I didn't want to hear about it because it's disgusting and it freaked me out. So um, I got that crash course. I mean, the amount of information you have to take in, it just, I don't know how your head gets around it. You know, it's... um, it's a lot, a lot to take in. So what sort of detail do you feel that they had gone into? 
they had gone into the practical things, um, how to do the injections, the difference between your long lasting and fast acting, acting and what puts your sugars up, what what takes it down, even the simple things, simple things now that I take for granted. Like I, it took a long time for it all to hit it, hit me like it, I didn't understand it at all. And then, yeah, then the, I met the dietitian and she kind of went through the food stuff and things like that. But yeah, now there was, they did tell me, like they talked to me about hypos and stuff like this. Now I thought to me, I thought from the way they talked about it, like a hypo was something that would happen you maybe once a year, or maybe never happen. And to me, I thought like, if you have one, you're nearly going to die, you know. Um, <laughs> and I left the hospital like that. And I remember, I'll never forget her saying when I was leaving, that you probably will have a hypo in the first two weeks. And that embedded in my brain, that statement scared the life out of me. Um, so when I come home, I... I and because my numbers were never to know when you're diagnosed, my numbers were quite high. Like I was about 15 a lot of the time, you know, mm. because they were slowly taking them down. So it, it wasn't going low. And then, yeah, it was a couple of days like they said, well, if you have a hypo, here's the emergency number. Ring us. We'll help you through it. Now, I mean, to say I was scared, I mean, I was absolutely petrified and so yeah. what, what were you told about a hypo that led to this fear I was just I think um I was just told I knew that I knew that a hypo can be really dangerous of course and then I did the worst thing in the world like I started I went on to this worldwide type 1 diabetes group and it scared me because there was people talking about that their friend died in their sleep and this happened and this person has like their leg amputated and this person lost their eyesight. So mm. that scared me too. Um, so yeah, I was very nervous, very nervous coming home. And like, I came home, like I just um, have my son here. He's 15. So in my head, I was relying on him to save my life. You know, I really thought this was, you know, really dangerous, you know? Um, so yeah, then my first hypo came and I mean, it scared me. I cried, I was shaking and I had my friend on call. She rushed around to the house and yeah, but when it happened, then I was like, right, that's not so bad. And at least now I know how it feels. But when it happened, I rang my nurse, the emergency number to give me, there was nobody there. So you're kind of on your own, like that you think you're leaving and you have all these people, but you don't like you're, you have to you have to take control over this yourself, like, which is scary when you don't really know anything about it. So do you feel that the fact that you went through that experience of having your first hypo, which was obviously terrifying and hypos in themselves, anybody listening knows that they're a very, very uncomfortable. Yeah, fe- it's, it's a very uncomfortable feeling and it's obviously what we want to avoid at all costs. But do you feel now that fear has kind of, subsided since you had experienced it yeah definitely after the first one then it de- I definitely relaxed a lot more I was still scared but I definitely did relax more you know but like I mean I was still doing I was still doing a lot you know because whenever I was in with the team and they'd said to me like you know I was they were asking me about you know my activity and stuff like that and I'd be like well I'd be very active like and they were kind of saying, yeah, well, you know, 
you might not be able to be like that as much. It's going to be harder. And to me, I was like, no, that's there's no way like I'm going to change my life because of this, you know. So when I came home, I was still being active and that was hard. It's hard anyways with diabetes, but never mind at the start, you know. So, yeah, so I had plenty, plenty of hypos after that then to to get used to them. Of course. And the, the biggest part of it, well, a very important part of it, in my opinion, is having those highs and having those lows, because it's over time with all that trial and error of experiencing how highs feel, how lows feel, how to treat them, how yeah. quickly you can drop with certain amounts of insulin and exercise and all these kind of things. There is so much trial and error that goes into it. Yeah. And obviously that initial fear that comes with it because it's something that you haven't experienced yet. It's the fear of the unknown. Yeah. I think hopefully a lot of people's confidence grows more over time. Yeah. How do you feel or how did you feel your family or people close to you were reacting to it? Oh, they were, they were amazing. Um, I went, I took a while off work and college and I went home and stayed home for, I think, three or four weeks um, to get on my feet. And just knowing that there was people in the house, there was people around me, helped me relax a lot more as well. Um, I think that gave me the best kind of start. But yeah, my, like, my family and friends, I mean, they were all just a phone call away. Like everybody was ready to help me if I needed it. So just knowing that was a lot better. It, it helped me a lot. Very reassuring, I'd say. And same yeah. with myself, obviously coming back and having that support system is a big, big part of it. Yeah. I'd say your son is an expert now at this stage, is he? He is. And he's <laughs> as good. Like even at the start, if I text him and say, can you come here? He's running down the stairs and he's like, are you okay? Do you need it? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. Like, you know, so he's always checking up on me and he's, he's very good. Good. Happy to hear it. So have you been back? You've obviously, or you took three weeks off, wasn't it? From work and studies. So you're obviously yeah. a care worker. You're a medical student. How has it been? getting back to those things since diagnosis? So it was very hard. Like college, college work was so difficult. Trying to concentrate with, when you get a lot of highs or lows, I just found, and I found, found that like diabetes just took over everything. I mean, I wanted to know everything straight away. So all my time went into research, research. So it left, it, it did leave me behind in my college work, but my, um, my lectures were amazing. They were very, very supportive. They give me plenty of time to do stuff. They were very understanding um, and didn't really ask much, much questions. They were very good. And had you done any research or study around diabetes at all throughout your, your student life? No, no, no. I, I literally <laughs> had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. But I, I think I know a lot more now. So what sort of resources did you go to to try and find out more? Because I was exactly the same as you, Mary, when I was diagnosed. I knew that this thing is forever. And yeah. knowing that, I put more pressure on myself to learn as much as I could about it because I knew that the more that I know, inevitably, the easier things will be to manage. Yeah, like I knew from day one, I knew that I wanted to be good at this that I wanted to look after myself, that I didn't want in 20 years time for this to come back. 
against me. I knew I wanted to look after myself. So I knew I had to find out all the information I could. So yeah, I just got on to like Diabetes Ireland. I read everything at Diabetes UK, went through all that and went through loads of studies. My biggest thing at the start was the CGM. I'd looked into that from day one. I knew that it was going to help me a lot. Um, And then your, your podcasts. I mean, the podcasts were definitely one of my the best things that I done and it, my advice anybody newly diagnosed would be to go through them I felt so much more prepared it kind of I got into them straight away and then when things happened it was kind of like I knew so say I listened to an episode in the following week something would happen like I, I was going through a honeymoon period and when it happened I was like oh I know this so <laughs> I kind of had understood it from the podcast and I was a step ahead you know so I was prepared for them that's amazing. I'm delighted to hear that. I'm yeah. I, uh, it was, yeah, delighted it was to hear that I've helped you in some way up to this point. Oh, a hundred percent. And even you know, if I was, you know, th- if it was coming into the summer and the heat, and I'd be like, right, how is this going to affect me? I'll look up that podcast. Um, <laughs> so because the I find that the diabetes team, as much as they can help you, it's definitely hearing it firsthand from somebody that has it is completely different and you understand it because there's there's th- I, I think with diabetes there's some things that you can't describe in words mm-hmm. that other people get like you know the feeling of hypos the feeling of hypers um the anxiety um the stress you know I, there's stuff that you can't explain to other people but other diabetics get it you don't even have to talk about it and i think the podcasts they were so genuine because it is from people that, that have the same condition. That was part one of my chat with Mary. As always, and as you know now from the last couple previous episodes, if you are listening on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. Otherwise, if you're listening any other day, it's going to be the next episode on our list. So it should play automatically as part two. It's so nice to hear from someone firsthand that the podcast has helped them through that initial diagnosis period and the fact that mary just pointed that out to me that it has helped her up to this point reassures me that the podcast is doing its job and that's obviously why we're all here folks so thanks for listening to part one part two will be just up